0: Systems work, people fail. Welcome to InsureMark's Advisor Mentorship Podcast with Vice President Jeremy Hauser, where we share proven systems and processes for the 21st century advisor. Today, it's essential that advisors find a way to differentiate themselves from the competition. Learn how to elevate your game and accomplish incredible feats as Jeremy teaches you how to build a more successful and sustainable business while realizing a better work-life balance is not only possible, but achievable. With a new
1: year upon us, we are looking to bring some exciting energy to our listeners in 2024. With the FIA industry coming off another record-breaking year, our team could not think of a better person to start our year off than the high energy of our guest today. Our guest leads the index diligence and selection process for Anexus and coordinates the firm's relationships with asset managers, academic experts, and investment banks in conjunction with Anexus Carrier Partners. Our guest is Executive Vice President of Index Solutions at Anexus, Tom Haynes. How are we doing today, Tom?
2: Hey, Jeremy, very good. Thank you so much for having me on today. And thank you to the audience for taking time out of your day to join us. Love it.
1: There's that energy. (laughs) I love it. So how are we, uh, so Tom, so who is, uh, tell the audience a little bit about who Tom Haynes is and what is your current role at Anexus? Sure, Jeremy.
2: So Anexus is a very good partner actually to Ensure Mark and Jeremy, we appreciate that partnership. Uh, we're a product development company for index annuities. Think of it, uh, the Intel inside and really helping to drive the product development, the innovation with index annuities and index universal life policies with major life insurance and annuity carriers such as Athene, Nationwide, North American. And my role, even though Nexus is headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona, mm-hmm. I'm speaking to you from my home office in North Jersey, very close to Wall Street. And overseeing our index solutions business, I'm boots on the ground for us and our partnership to meet with the Wall Street investment banks, our index partners, and esteemed academic partners, and ensuring that we're really developing innovation, robustness, and strategy design, and working closely with our insurance partners to making sure that the underlying hedges that are utilized by them to offer the smart beta strategies in the FIAs are priced with competitiveness and strength.
1: I love it. And what year? Um, and I forget. So it's been years now. So what year did you join up with the Nexus? I know we've hung out a couple times now.
2: Absolutely. So I joined a Nexus in 2017. Uh, yeah. actually, a Nexus was my client. I was overseeing solution structure at UBS in New York City, working with Roger Ibbotson, in the Yale School, and the NYSC on the NYC Zebra Edge Index, and through that process of getting to meet a Nexus nationwide. There was probably at that point in the end of 16, beginning in 2017, 40 smart beta indices, and they were coming and coming out. And Ron Schertz, our co-founder and CEO, so this was only going to continue. And he was starting to get a sense of probably some of the shenanigans of ignorance and deception in the product that was going down and really wanted to have someone that was able to do index diligence. At the time, we worked with Genesis Financial, who invented the FIA. We We really develop a robust strategy process. And even though Anexus already had worked with Bob Schiller, you know the mm-hmm. famous Nobel laureate and has been a tremendous partner to us, he realized as we continue expanding the portfolio, bring someone someone with that Wall Street expertise to be involved in the diligence process.
1: I love that. And so what is so you mentioned due diligence process a couple times. So, what is the annexus due diligence process for your team, and especially when it comes to figuring out which indexes to offer to consumers for you Absolutely.
2: Product. So, Jeremy, it's really a three-step process. The first is interview. So here you are literally interviewing me, right? Looking right. me in the eye, obviously, virtually. Well, the best, obviously, to do this in person. Love to do it someday in person. But mm-hmm. in person, the ability to look them in the eye and say, why are you building this index? Are you building the index to just have a good, high illustrated value and get a deal mandate? Again, many of the, the developers of these indices, they're, they're not fiduciaries. They're here just to get a deal. So what we want to do is look someone in the eye, ask them, what is driving the research behind the strategy? Mm-hmm. In the case of a Schiller, or Siegel or Ibbotson, they're pointing to their research. That doesn't mean we're going to only work with those three firms or people. We want to be able to work with those that have reference well-known methodologies and academic research that they're pulling in into their strategy design and referencing. That's one, right? And then the other two is we want to determine that it's not just about an illustrated value again, but determine that has the ability to work on a go-forward basis. Not that we have a crystal ball but the ability to look from a long-term forecasting process and mm-hmm. say, are the, the components in the strategy, are they actually built for the last 10 years? Or do they actually have the opportunity to work for the next 10 years? Specifically, when you think about bonds, the idea of thinking that you're going to put a, all this bond allocation in a strategy in 2019, 2020, that it would have illustrated really well coming out of a bond bull market. But going forward, how would it uh, do? and a lot of people would say well hindsight's 2020 look at what happened to bonds of course they collapsed now you can say that well going into 2020 Jeremy we saw mm-hmm. bonds at their lowest levels you know jack bogle in his very last interview at mornings to morningstar said look the expected return of bonds is the current yield there's nothing left so we're we're cognizant of, of that go forward mindset as opposed to just relying on illustrated values The last part of this, this is not just an academic exercise. What we want to do is make sure this is implementable. So working very closely with our Wall Street partners, our insurance company partners, we have contacts with a lot of banks, but we're very selective to really strive for partnership of transparency and competitiveness to ensure that the products, the indices, are offered with very strong par rates, but really, more importantly, stable Hard rates through that process. And that's what we're really doing in conjunction with the banks and the insurance company partners. That's really part of that diligence process. The one thing I did leave out is the concept of diversification. I I try to avoid thinking this is a bet. This is a retirement product. So the Mm -hmm. ability to think that we're going to have one year an index that has a zig, maybe on the other year it has a zag. So how do you bring numerous indices to the portfolio within one FIA design so we're not taking bets. And that's another part. We do a lot of analysis to determine the indices within one index annuity. They're complementing each other within that forecasting mindset lens.
1: And especially, so that's a really good overview of the, the process that y'all do. And it's very in detail. And I know you referenced 2020 and even the last, so four years, especially the last two years, very volatile markets, especially the last two years now where we have currently, I think I would say essentially a flat market as we record today over the last two years, safe to say roughly. So how have y'all's indexes performed ever since uh, Anexus has partnered with your team, bringing together the due diligence process? How are the indexes doing based off of y'all's not just back testing, but I know a phrase that you guys use a lot at the meetings that we're a part of, uh, whenever you guys are sharing what's coming out next is uh forecasting. So do you mind sharing a little bit about what the indexes have done or done well and how y'all's forecasting process works?
2: Absolutely. In terms of performance, we're not hitting hundred percent batting average, nor is anyone. But going into twenty, you know, seventeen into twenty twenty, we were trying to be prepared really again for the decade ahead allocating to thinking about strategies ahead of the value allocation, thinking about pulling away from bond markets, you know, in, in times of rising rates. And with all of that, what we did was be able to also build out more strategies over time. So when we look at our performance, the Nexus portfolio, I would actually say out of some of the best performing products in the market, out mm-hmm. of the last three years, I'm proud to say we actually have three of the top five within really the major insurance companies that distribute into the IDC market. So we definitely can show that credit. And that includes number one, Global Schiller by Professor Robert Schiller. Number two, the Wisdom Tree Siegel Strategic Value Index with our partner, Professor Jeremy Siegel and the S&P Prism Index, which is an index that I helped develop in conjunction with S&P over five years ago. So we definitely show on top of the leaderboard. Now, I will say there are some strategies that have a zero. And you know, what we're trying to do is construct over the long term that that consistent goal. So one year you might see double digit returns from a product return. Others might be a little light. But over the long haul, how are we really trying to manage expectations to provide an alternative expo- experience that really is in lieu of a bond return with actually some of the additional benefits, such as guaranteed income, you know, enhanced income solutions and such.
1: Mm-hmm. And and so with all the the data that your team analyzes, the awesome relationships that you've established now, because uh, Ron's been on the show as well. He was episode 20 talking about how uh, you guys have a really good opportunity with a lot of the top firms out there that people are very well recognized. Is there any adjustments that you've made to y'all's due diligence process over the last two years? Um, anything that's just stayed consistent? But let's start with, has anything adjusted based off of y'all's processes bringing stuff on?
2: Not not at all, uh, actually, Jeremy. That that same process, it doesn't go away. Interview, determine based on a forecast mindset, not just look and rely on illustrated values and think about that selection from an implementation perspective and diversification that happens every step of the way. And we probably get a look on 80% of the indices that are in the market. We turn most down, to be honest. And, and through that process, not that we're gonna have it being right every time, but leading to better expectations, leading to more realistic results. That's really our goal and we continue to do that. So along that way, when we look at products, we say, okay, is there an opportunity to add further diversification to the product? So that's always the lens that we start with our current products. And we always reevaluate, are the indices positioned to work on a forecast process? So over time, if you bring me on five years from now, the Mm -hmm. expectations from international markets and small cap might be different versus large cap, but the expected returns for bonds will be different. So the actual assumptions will change, but not our process.
1: Thanks for sharing that. And I think um, the other week, so before when we were chatting a little bit before you came on... You spoke about something that I thought was very interesting. And you know, I was I I love hearing you at our our meetings because not just the energy, but you also bring some really good foresight to a lot of the top academia people you speak with of what's coming or at least their forecast, nothing's guaranteed. But you did reference something with regards to the yeah, largest jump. It was the largest jump in rates in history, according to uh, Jeff Gunlack here over the last uh, year or two, right? C- can you can you talk Deutsche a little bank. bit more? Or, Deutsche or, yeah, bank. How do you, bank. Yeah, butcher that <laughs> name, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, Deutsche Bank, the, the German bank. Last year, they went back, and we talk about Ibbotson, Schiller, and Siegel going back centuries. Well, Deutsche Bank went all the way back to the 1700s, from the time that Alexander Hamilton started quartering the first US bond offerings, right? That- that far back and saw over history, this was the worst bond market in US history. And a lot of people get a little confused by that. A few reasons. And, and I actually validated it going back to 1874. I didn't I didn't have the ability to go open up the, the ledgers from the 1780s, but I was able to go back using the data of actually our index partner, Professor Schiller, as well as an NYU professor, Dharmadoran, and to 1874. And I confirmed that. And, and the reasoning is why is this worse than 1970s? Wasn't that like double digit interest rate, 16%? It was the magnitude and the speed from going, and this is really bond mathematics. I'm going to go a little deep here from you, but I'll try to ana- analogize it to a car, a Tesla perhaps. The, the, the idea that if you're at zero, which is really where we were in the spring of 2020, right? 50 basis points, treasury is almost less than that. And you go to 5%, within about a three and a half year period, that's like saying you go to zero to 60 in five seconds. And that that magnitude from going that low to that high quick, based upon bond mathematics, when rates go up, bonds go down. And and that drew the worst bond market in US history. That really continued really up to October of 2023. If anything, we've seen some reprieve, actually a material amount of reprieve since then, the month of November, we're seeing inflation numbers coming down. We're seeing the talk of a soft landing. Chairman Powell, the Fed, coming out highlighting that. It's a little debate with other Federal Reserve presidents uh, getting on the, the, the CNBCs and likes, but we're seeing that normalization, which is really healthy. Uh, but what we are, we're not. We're far back from having a bond bull market. And, you know, we're we're seeing extreme amount of bond volatility, obviously there, but it is comforting to see a return to normalcy. And
1: what what are your, um, in your circles, what are the experts saying? What are some predictions for 2024? And in your opinion, what does that mean for the FIA space as well for 2024?
2: Absolutely. Well, the one thing I want to highlight about FIAs is- what happens if I'm dead wrong on everything, right? And if all the talking heads, nothing's right, we have unexpected challenges. Think about October in Israel, the worst situation, a massacre for the Jewish people since World War II. You really didn't know it was going to happen then, right? No one knows some really unexpected, awful situations, geopolitical, economic. There's something that's hard to forecast. So to know that an FIA, at the end of the day, it's not an equity replacement. It provides 100% downside protection. Further, it can provide other key features such as guaranteed lifetime income. right? So that allows us to know that that's really competitive all within a portfolio, regardless of what happens to markets. Now, going into markets, when we talk to Siegel and, and he talked to other academics, we, uh, we also work with Rob Arnott as well. You'll be seeing more of him uh, with research affiliates. He's viewed as the godfather of smart beta. Most are saying they see continued bullishness in the equity market. But we're moving beyond the magnificent seven. To think that seven names are driving all the return in the market, that's, that's exorbitant. To have a strong market means not just seven names. That's not a market. That's a segment of the market. And I get there's cap weighting of S&P, but we need to have the other 493 participate. And then you go to small caps, right? The small cap market is is really the driver of growth in the U.S. economy. We need to see them get out of a 20% drawdown, right? And with high interest rates, some of those businesses are heavily financed. So I get what happened, but what we expect is to see more growth, of those other 493, the Russell 2000, even well, large international con- countries markets, right? To see those grow as well. So, by getting that width of the market is what we would expect in 2024, as if interest rates come down.
1: Mm. And and I mean, I guess the, the, because most of the audience who listens to the show, a lot of them are already recommending. Um, utilizing for the whole portfolio for just at least a portion of retirement plans. The fixed index annuity as a portion of that. Is there any advice with, based off the outlook here over the next several years, outlook for next year, any advice you'd give uh, those advisors that are currently recommending uh, FIAs to their customers?
2: Absolutely. The opportunity still to use an index annuity. First of all, rates are even though they've come off 100 basis points or 120 basis points, if you look at corporates in the last 40 days, it's a it's a tremendous opportunity, right? We see some of the strongest participation rates, some of the strongest guarantees that the industry's ever had, and then knowing that the insurance companies, especially well-rated insurance companies, it's the ones that we work with, you know, A plus rated level companies, to be able to know that they're going to have a higher likelihood of really protecting the client. Mm-hmm. And providing that, 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 that competitiveness over a 10-year period, over the whole holding period of that annuity, allows for tremendous buying opportunity. That's really special. Uh, n- knowing if we're market cycle predictions are wrong, we got the floor. And then further, when we think about the strategies, diversify. The th- you know, Pulling away from the S&P 500, when there's a, a lot of this year cap chasing and mm-hmm. saying, oh, this S&P cap is really high. When we do our analysis, I'm not even sure if some of those really double-digit S&P caps are sustainable. And even if they are, which I'd question, do we really think the S&P is going to hit that 11% or 12% cap? Probably not. You know, Wall Street forecasts, looking at index standard, who I know Insuremark has a mm-hmm. subscription too, we at Nexus have a subscription too, they'd say the S&P price return is going to do 55 over the mm-hmm. next decade. So, when we keep that in mind, let's pull away from the seven. Let's get diversification and numerous strategies across the board, having access to smarter US, smarter global factors, right? And bringing that together to drive the consistency. Which brings me to the other point. When you look at an illustrated value with the, the, the competitiveness of what we have, you might see really high illustrated returns. Mm-hmm. Even when you think about some of the, the forecasting, high returns, when Ron Shirts founded an excess, he would get up on stage and highlight this is not an equity replacement, things to earn a long-term a 5% return over the long-term, not year in, year out, over the long-term. We're not changing that narrative because this isn't an equity replacement. If it mm-hmm. provides 100% protection with upside participation, I am not going to say, well, if the S&P is going to do seven with dividends, or the Russell's going to do nine. We're going to outperform that. We're going to seek to find the indices that do have the best opportunity for performance, the efficiency of the crediting method. But we got to remember, we're not an equity replacement. We're really trying to be an alternative in the portfolio. And that's what I also want to highlight to advisors. A lot of times they see it and they think, oh, is this going to be better than equities? It might in a given year, but let's not plan for that.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's very, that's very key. And I think over the last, I would say just from my experience, the last five, six months now. So we've continued to to grow here at InsureMark. We have a lot of um, advisors that are raising their hands when to have a conversation. I would say a lot of the new advisors that I've been speaking to though, are those that have a pretty big book of business and they have for whatever reason, never recommended insurance products in their portfolios, or uh, maybe they have years ago, I'd say 10 plus years ago, and now they're starting to come back and wanting to look a little deeper into this as more of an asset class. So i the question to you, Tom, would be for for those advisors that might be listening to this that are currently not recommending fixed index annuities, what would be any advice you'd give them as their curiosity starts to look at fixed index annuities?
2: I would highlight decumulation of a portfolio is something that the advisor in wealth management marketplace obviously continues to strive to look at. And when we think about longevity risk, the debate, does the 4% rule hold? Last year, Morningstar said it didn't. Two years ago, it said it was dire. Now this year, they said it does. But when you open up the report, if you live to 100, it won't. Hmm. Is 4% even enough? to live comfortably where we've just had this high amount of inflation, right? And I just said inflation is going to come down. But I didn't say we're going to have deflation, right? So prices aren't going to come down. I think what we're saying is, is it not going to continue to increase so much. And where I'm going is, is the 4% rule enough for your go-go years, right? So that that is one thing to think about. And the other part is thinking about the efficiency of decumulating. When you think about RMDs. Require minimum distributions. When you think about when people get older and their slow-go years, right? They're having illness. Do they have a younger participant, younger participants potentially worry about Social Security being there? Do they have the tools in place to prepare for that while knowing they actually have an alternative that can provide full downside protection? And that's really what our product brings to the table in part of that portfolio process and a more prudent planning of the deaccumulation process.
1: Deaccumulation. I love that. that that's really wow. good. That's really good information right there. Is there now, is there anything um, as we're wrapping up here? Last question is there anything that we've missed that you want to cover here as we uh, close out?
2: No, I, I, I think we covered a lot of good topics. Again, the market always evolves, but if we continue to have the same foundation with a long term process, and be sensitive to short term and middle term markets i think that you know that's what we're trying to do drive those realistic expectations and i wish everyone happy holidays here
1: Love it. Well, thank you very much, Tom, for your time today. Thank you so much. Also, thank you to the listener for checking out and tuning in to this episode. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening device so you do not miss out on any future episodes. Also, follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube so you don't miss any of the clips that we have from previous episodes. And as we wrap up, and this is our first episode of 2024, just remember, in a world full of betas,
0: be an alpha. Thank you for listening to the InsureMark Advisor Mentorship Podcast with Vice President Jeremy Hauser. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available and connect with Jeremy on LinkedIn to stay up to date. If you would like to request our introduction kit, feel free to check out www.advisormentorship.com and click on Learn More. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Thank you for listening to the InsureMark, the advisor mentorship podcast with InsureMark Vice President Jeremy Hauser.